Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shot boots, the official work boot of Moving Iron Podcast. Sean is a financial advisor with Hackett Financial in Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean, there is uh, another good reason to get some dry shot boots out there with uh, all the, the muck that's going on in the marketplace right now. China finally came to the table and bought 720,000 tons of, of soybeans from uh, the U.S. here, and it looks like they have also have record imports of U.S. crude, according to uh, what we've seen so far in July. So uh, maybe this phase one thing is going to happen after all. Well, you know, at the end of the day, we've always said, we'll continue to say, we don't listen to what the Chinese say, follow what they do. They're great traders. Yeah, well, they're definitely great uh, traders. So, yeah. so we had a huge hit in crude. We had a huge hit in soybeans. We had uh, extremely strong U.S. dollar. It ended up, uh, we had a decline in the U.S. dollar. So they've got, this is probably one of the best values they've seen in a long time. And so they're doing what's best for them. Now, of course, we like when they buy from us, but let's put it right on the table. They're doing what's best for them. Right now, it's a good deal to buy U.S. grain, U.S. energy from us. Um, it's a good deal for them. And so they'll continue to buy as long as they feel it's a good deal and, and as long as they feel it's one of the better deals they can get in size. Right. So it, it makes sense. And I, I believe they will be opportunist, opportunistic buyers for the rest of the year. Um, now, of course, if Mother Nature gets involved, if there's problems with the desert locust, if, if something starts to get them concerned that... You know, prices may be moving up substantially. You know, they may they may actually buy into a rally and not wait any longer. But right now, they're feeling pretty comfortable that they'll just buy breaks and buy value until something tells them they need to be more aggressive and gun the market higher. Yep. So. All right. So the other thing that we need to probably address here a little bit and talk about some is there is this. I mean, this week I guess is really kind of the best way to put it. There's just been more and more and more, you know, kind of started out with this crescendo on the weekend, and it's now it's like fever pitch, this the second wave of the coronavirus, what, how, how, you know, the walking dead are going to come in the fall, you know, and it's just, um, it cannot, I mean, it's just getting more and more blown out of proportion. Um, and then they're it's talking the about... It's the playbook. Yeah, well, yeah. They already, they already had these press releases written two months ago. Yeah. Oh, so we're out there, we're going to wait a little bit, and then we're going to come out. You know, that's just their, that's their nature. Yeah. I follow visits to the hospital due to coronavirus-like symptoms. Right. The problem with the numbers is every week we're testing more people than we yeah. did the week before. Yep. We're testing twice as many people this now than we did a month ago. So does it mean there's more cases, or we're just, we're just actually able to test more people and say that more people actually have it, they may have already had it, you know, 
it, 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 it's a very hard to say if we're doubling our testing and let's say 5% of the people have it and we can test twice as many people, we're going to say we know twi you know, twice as many people have it. I mean, it's, it's really, you got to follow who's sick enough to go into the hospital. Yeah. And they're at the lowest levels they've been all along. Yep. So until that number starts to shoot up, I don't do any of this as anything other than media hyperbole, I call it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you because it's been a, the exact same thing. You know, we, you start looking at the number of hospitals and stuff that they have out there and the employees that they're furloughing uh, because they're not, there's not the revenue to, to keep them. Well, it tells me that there are not that many people going. It's, it's a pretty, it's not a hard thing to figure out, right? So it's um, not discounting. And, and, and if you look at the daily deaths, Right, look at the like the you know, the they're at the lowest they get all along. Yeah. So so I'm really it, you know we just talked about before we started that how the stock market just went straight up and nonstop and yep. ahead. I just think the market sometimes just looks for an excuse to sell off. It just looks for a reason because you got too many people, too many short term traders, too many people with leverage that you bought into the late part of the rally and it's just it was just time. For a setback, and the media will say it was the Fed statement that didn't go right, or it was the rebound effect. In the end, stock market just got ahead of itself and needed a good setback, and it got it yesterday. Yeah, so. well, they got it. They got their setback for sure. Because what was the Dow down two thousand points yesterday, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. pretty close. Yeah, it was a it was a good one. Um, the idea that that the coronavirus isn't a big deal is is not true, but the fact that they're they're overhyping stuff to I don't know what they're doing. I don't get it. I don't know why there's this need to keep everything shut down. And, you know, sooner or later, you, you can't, we can't do what we did again I and mean, expect there's going to be some positive thing come out of our, on our economy. I mean, that'd be hugely detrimental to the future. Well, President Trump America. says we will not close again. We will uh, not close again. So they, they may, may, maybe, you know, if, uh, I don't know, maybe if, um, Chicago is out of control. Or you can shut Chicago down if you feel you just need to get your handle around it. I mean, right. there might be these little micro areas you got to do you know, an isolated deal, but I mean, that's fine. But shutting everybody down again is not an option. Agreed. Oh, definitely agreed. So let's talk about the the, uh, the desert locust thing for a minute. I was going to bring that sure. up. So when you take a look at what's going on in India right now, you've got this locust that's going through, and it's just the pictures I've watched on YouTube, the videos and stuff of these swarms of locusts come by, and it looks like a dust storm coming across the, across the uh, the sky. But it's actually just these these locusts, and they're 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 wreaking havoc on anything and everything from rice to sugarcane and everything in between in in uh, in that part of Asia. So I guess you take a look at at what's going on with sugar. Um, you know, here we're coming off of a a record low uh, U.S. sugar market. When it came to sugar beets, uh, the amount of sugar beets got processed and turned into sugar, and then the overall um, world sugar market was was had some pretty big downfalls. Well, now you're going to throw this on top of it. So, talk to me about sugar and what you see happening there. Well, I mean, we had a huge shortfall last year in sugar globally, not only in the U.S. And the, and the sugar prices were taking off before the virus hit, as you know. Well, I think the rally from like ten cents all the way up to fifteen, almost sixteen cents, and then of course sugar market crashed like everything else. So, so long as we can get the energy market back to, you know, to that four dollar area, which we actually hit before this little setback, you know, that brings ethanol back into Brazil, and that brings uh, 
some of that extra sugar that was being produced because ethanol was not economical off the table. And, and that kind of takes the bearish punch bowl away from the bears and, and puts the sugar market back on the, you know, we're, we're really on the edge of not having enough again. So we already know that the desert locust has been spreading in India already, even during the time where it wasn't really, you know, they, it hadn't really gotten its rooting in there yet. And we know that if you follow the way that these desert locusts lay their eggs and, and spread and then lay more eggs, it grows exponentially. And the period for the most rapid expansion of the desert locust in India is the period from now into the end of June. I mean, that's where they're going to lay their largest amount of eggs and they're going to have the greatest amount of, of insect uh, infestations. Um, and given that they only have a full hold in pretty much a good portion of the northern half of India, uh, I mean, if you've seen some of these swarms, they're, as big, they're bigger than New York City. Yeah, they're massive. Right? They're, they're massive. Yeah. So uh, we really believe that by the time we get into July, uh, it's going to be very, very obvious that crops that are grown in the northern half of India are going to be in trouble. And that's things like rice, that's things like cotton, that's things like sugar. We have big crops that are grown in the northern half of India. And, and we think it's going to be a big market mover. It's a non-weather-related event, which is unusual. But nonetheless, it has the impact to be even a greater, a, a much greater impact than even a weather event could be because um, it, it would be so devastating and so widespread. I mean, there's really nothing you could do to stop it. I mean, the only way you could stop it, cases, you'd have to be preemptive. You'd have to have, you know, spraying all these eggs everywhere. And, and of course, don't forget, they shut the whole country down. In India, it's it's mass chaos there. Right? There's nobody watching the ship on this desert locust. That 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 opportunity is, is too late now. The eggs have been laid. The infestation is ready to come. There's really nothing they can do to stop it now. We see. We see. Wow, that's uh, good news from Sean Hackett. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's not good news. No. My job is to tell the truth. Right? Fast and like, tell the truth about what yep. we're seeing, and it's going to happen whether I say it or not, and, but if you're in crops that are grown in the northern half of India, I do think there's going to be a big price reaction in the middle to latter part of the summer on this, and so it's something to pay attention to, because it's one of those scenes, no one's going to talk about it, no one's going to talk about it, and then one day you're going to wake up and boom, you're going to get this big reaction, and everyone's going to wonder, like, where did this come from? How can we even hear about this until now? That sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's jump over and talk about wheat a little bit because there's some there's some pretty significant pressure on wheat right now when you start looking at drought situations that are taking place across or developing anyway in, in some key wheat growing areas in the U.S. and what you see happening over in France and, and Europe when it comes to wheat right now. So um, the wheat crop right now in France is pretty much stabilized out, but it's at the near record lows as far as quality and um, actual actual bushels that they're expecting to get. Um, when you take a look at that and then you take a look at the the severe heat and dryness that we're starting to see develop in Oklahoma and Kansas, um, the wheat market could could see some some rallies here just based on some weather events. So talk about wheat and what you see happening there. Yeah, I mean, we typically get harvest pressure in the back half of May to June. You know, this is typical. Mm -hmm. you know, the harvest of crops, there's always supplies. Farmers always have to sell some. So this is the typical time that we do get some pressure on U.S. wheat prices. It's, it's, it's a seasonal pattern. It's nothing 
It's not rocket science, and, and, and we're getting that. And we're getting that. Uh, but once you get enough of that overhang out, and you know, and, and the harvest is far enough along, and the, enough of the selling is taking place, you then get into a classic, typical post-harvest rally, which is back half of June and July is when that typically happens. And yes, uh, dryness in uh, you know, winter wheat belt, actually, it's even more dryness in the Minneapolis wheat belt and North Dakota and that sort of thing is even actually even worse. And, and, and we don't see uh, that dryness going away. We actually, it, we have a western dry pattern that's going to be migrating eastward as the summer progresses. So we think you know, that dry area is really not going to get a whole lot of relief. We're also looking at extremely hot dry temperatures in southern Russia as their crop is finishing up and going through the heading phase, which, as anybody knows, the heading is a really critical point for, for finishing off the yields. And if you get yeah. too hot, too dry during heading, uh, it's a problem in the next week or two to not look encouraging for Southern Russia, which is the key area, you know, for a little wheat supplies for exports. So even once this harvest pressure is over, which we think it's pretty close, Casey, you know, we think there's going to be reason to have this market see a big comeback in and, and, and see some better prices going forward. So. Yep, and there, there's a uh, a fair amount of, of wheat around here that is that is in that phase of coming along and, and there's been some of that too and also you throw some some freeze events and stuff like that some colder weather that kind of hit it earlier so we could have a have a run here just based on what we see happening in the weather so now let's jump over and talk about um you know ethanol i think is one we should bring up as well you're starting to see the price of gasoline is coming up um parabolically i mean every week over week it's just I think it's about 50 or 60 cents higher now um, that has been since uh, since it kind of started reopening everything back up. Ethanol's come along with that. More and more ethanol plants are coming on, and corn price is starting to to uh, kind of react to what you see happening there. It feels like we'll run up six or seven cents one day, and then the next couple of days they kind of sell it back off, and then it goes back up and kind of sells it back off. So I don't know if there's some some law in place right now that that corn can't get above 333 but it, it seems like that's the point that it keeps coming back but it can't get below 327 either so it's got to be somewhere in there that it's got to make it work so i guess talk about what you see happening in in the corn market related to ethanol well we've got 20 cents off the lows and, we're, and we found this initial barrier as you said right and that's fine i mean that this somebody's got to sell and so you know it's it's part of how the market works to say hi but we have turned higher that's the most important thing despite abject uh, hysteric bearish sentiment we've actually turned the market higher um, of course we're also watching weather so but the market has gotten comfortable that we've off to a great start the crop is, is advancing you know, we had we had a USDA says we have a good crop rating you know starting off and so everyone is you know, worried that the crop's going to be good and, and that's typical you know we, we always think the crop looks great in the first half of June it always looks good in the first half of June what we're worried about cases when we're looking at our weather for corn I mean obviously the most important Weather period is during when the most the majority of the corn is going to pollinate. This year, we're going to most of the corn is going to pollinate between July one and July fifteen because it got in early, had some good heat, it's moving along. So most of the crops going to is going to pollinate in that window. We're seeing some extremely hot temperatures coming in during that critical time. So what it means for the West, because you've been lacking the moisture, that means hot, dry. We know what that means. It means that it could be a problem for pollination. But what happens in the center, the east part, 
of the country is this Gulf moisture because it's going to be an active hurricane season. We're getting this Gulf moisture pumping in, and we're going to have what we call very, very warm, humid nights in the central to eastern half of the Corn Belt. And anyone that knows about how important it is for corn to respirate in the evening to maximize pollination, one of the worst things you can do is have warm, humid uh, evenings for corn pollination and not allow the corn plant to respirate. We had this problem in 2011, and we had catastrophic declines in yields in those areas that we had this, this extended period of warm, hot nights that didn't allow the, the, the pollination of the corn crop to, to proceed correctly. We see that being a very big problem in the center of the eastern half of the corn belt because of this this turning of, the, of, the, of this Gulf moisture in the very area and the heat popping up. Think of it as a, as a greenhouse. You, know, you can have a steam room greenhouse effect at night, and it's just not what you need for really good pollination to occur. So we think that, that that's going to be adding to this increased demand for ethanol. We see there's going to be some great concern that maybe this 178, 180, 182 yield that's a guarantee right now, maybe it's not right. And maybe we need to put in some weather premium here to factor that maybe these yields are going to come off. And, you know, that could give this corn market a head of steam, especially with the speculators up to the right ball short the corn market right now, thinking they're going to make their uh, yearly gains being short corn. They could be up for a rude awakening. Yeah. So. Yeah, they've got a big number out there. They keep floating around on the corn, like you just mentioned. I mean, I. I don't know. I think that, yeah, this, this playing season was relatively um, easy compared, comparatively. You know, there's some, there were some next, neck of the woods where there was some big issues that they had to worry about and things they had to kind of keep in, in this, it, it, you know, rain and some, some cold weather and those kind of things. But <clears throat> if you look at some, some areas of like Iowa, of, of Illinois, for example, for sure they had some cold weather and the corn is, way behind where it should be right now so i mean not to say that can't they can't catch that back up with some with some warm weather and some moisture and stuff but um they're just not starting off to that good of a good of a start for sure so there's there's some issues out there for sure and like always um they are always shooting for the moon right out of the gate seems crazy i've been doing this for a long long time it's always always a record crop in the first week of june First half of June. Always a record. Yeah. It's always going to be person. It's always all over. There's no hope, no future. Every single first half of June, uh, a razor blade is a better solution to your farming woes than anything else. Um, and, and every year, uh, you're typically proven incorrect yep. in most years. And once in a while, you do get the perfect year. Everything is just right. Uh, but most often, more often than not, that is not how it turns out. We do not believe we're going to see. Uh, a Pollyannish year for corn yields. We don't think it's going to be a disaster, but we do not believe we're going to have a top end bin busting uh, crop year. We think it's going to be, you know, modestly below trend. Um, and, and that is, and with ethanol not being, the death of ethanol being greatly overly exaggerated, all these spreadsheets and the stocks are going to have to come down. And that means that the price that they've been pricing corn at based upon these 3.3, 3.4 billion bushel carryouts are too low. Yeah, I mean, the price is too low. So. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's jump over and talk about the cattle complex for a little bit. So processing is about is held this week, roughly between ninety-five and ninety-eight percent of the uh, of last year's actual slaughter. 
daily slaughter counts and as you take a look the the price is still dropping it's still sliding backwards and there's just i mean it's obviously there's still uh, a big a big demand out there a big supply out there uh, even though demand is going through the roof so talk about the cattle market what you see happening there and then when can you when do you think we could see some relief here the problem with cattle is that the beef price went up so high that exports came down and demand got hurt because there's the cattle price, right? right? And there's the beef price. Right. Beef price just record high, never seen before in the history of the U.S. And it just became too expensive. I mean, you know, even though the economy's on the, on the mend and people are feeling more comfortable, I mean, you know, you have very, very cheap pork prices relative to beef prices. You have relatively cheap chicken prices relative to beef prices. Beef prices are just got too high. So because of that, you know, the demand has been switching over to these cheaper meat proteins, especially when people are watching their budgets a little closer, looking for a better value. They still want to eat meat, but hey, you know, that's just too high. And so, so, so the beef price has been coming, it's been kind of crashing back down to revive that demand. And it will. It will, by the way. So we, we have to get through that recalibration process. The other thing that's a problem for cattle short term is that because we've been putting the cattle on pasture and Delaying the rates are really really high, you know. So the, the cattle that would have come to the market a month ago, you know, are now five percent or ten percent higher than they were a year ago. So the rates are much much higher. So you're getting much more beef out of, you know, ahead of cattle than you would have otherwise expected. We're not seeing that in the pork. You know, we're not seeing that in the chickens. We're seeing it in the cattle. So, so supply and demand is a, is, a, is a little squirrely right now on the cattle market short term. It'll it'll take care of itself. And, and the fact that the beef price is coming down is, is what's needed to get this market going again. And, and so we think most of the downside reaction to that is probably behind us now. Okay. Well, good. At least we're starting to see some positive movements there. At least the slaughter count, right? That was that was the biggest bottleneck in this whole thing. Now we're almost back to normal. So yeah. it's... Yeah. Uh, as long as we got the piping open again and we unclog the system... Things will, things will get back to, to, to normalizing, and that's a very positive long-term picture for cattle. Yep. All right, cotton. We haven't talked about that in a while, and it is one of those it, it actually took a beat in here. Uh, there's this whole um, coronavirus thing, like everybody else, but probably a little a little harder than what what we had seen. Um, I'm reading a report right here that, you know, cotton's back up to 49 cents, and um, which is almost 20 cents off where it was before it started, this whole thing started. So I guess as you take a look at cotton market, there's going to be some positives that come out of the cotton market based on what we see in some of the key growing areas with the desert locust thing and stuff like that in India and, and those kind of things. So I guess talk about what we see in in cotton, especially since it follows the outside markets more than, than other other crops do. I mean, we, we, we talked about this many times before, Casey. Right? <clears throat> of all the ag markets that we follow, you know, cotton is the most cyclically sensitive ag market because it's cotton, it's clothing, it's economically sensitive. So when you get a day like yesterday, everyone's saying it's all over, depression, two, three, whatever you want to call it, you know, they're going to have big selling in the, in the cotton market because it's, it's viewed as an economically sensitive market. So that being said, we see acres being, uh, at the end of the month, we're going to get a new acreage uh, report out from the government. We think that the acreage for cotton is going to be lower than the intentions were uh, that we got in March. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing, we know that the desert locust is 
in Gujarat, which is the key Indian territory, the majority of the cotton is grown. We already know that the desert locust is already spread there. Already, before this next round of egg laying and, and, and proliferation. So we think there's going to be huge problems in Gujarat for the desert locust and what it means for production there. Um, not to mention the fact that you know, India is in such chaos right now because they shut the whole, they shut 1.3 billion people down, and they don't have the market workers. It, you know, it's such a disaster there that we just think harvesting, growing, getting back to market. Even it's going to be really, really difficult to see India being a major exporter of cotton, uh, and China needs it. China needs good, high quality cotton. They don't grow good, high quality cotton in China. They grow. You know, middle lower quality, so they need India and China and the uh, U.S. higher quality cotton to mix in, so they can produce what they want. And so we're pretty optimistic that you know, once we get through this uh, schism we're in right now, where everyone is saying, "Oh, it's the you know, the economy's terrible again." You know, once we get through that emotional thing, again, cotton should be back on the mend again. So we we would think that there's going to be, you know, maybe it's not quite yet, but there's going to be an opportunity for cash buyers of cotton to reload again. Yep. This, uh, and the news just needs something to talk about. I think most of the time, I don't, I think they can just, they're going to ride a horse till it's, till it's dead and they beat it to a uh, pulp. So there's, uh, I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now with all the stuff that's in the news, to be honest with you. Here's, here's, a, here's another interesting thing if you just think about it. Remember, all the discount trading houses for stocks have charged no commissions now. Oh. You can borrow money on margin at almost zero percent, <laughs> almost nothing. So, uh, you know, they, all the casinos are shut down. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying this to be funny, but so you have a whole bunch of people that love to gamble, right? Yeah. And they say, wait a minute, I can trade for no commission. I can borrow money for almost nothing, and I can feed my need for gambling in the stock market, which is moving around like crazy. Maybe I win, maybe I lose. I just want to be in the action. And so, you know, there's a lot to, to, to that. If you look at how many, we can actually follow how many accounts have been open in the last 30 days, 45 days in these, just, it's, it's parabolic. Huh. So there, there's, a, there's, there's a casino, it's kind of a casino environment going on right now in stocks that we, we can't deny is there. And I think it's part of why we're seeing some of these moves that seem to be happening and they're just trying to come up with a reason for it, but the reality is, it's a bunch of gamblers saying, "I just, it's time for me to cash my chips in." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? that's true. I never thought of the put. I mean, that's basically what stock market is. I mean, you're you're gambling on one way or the other, right? On some on some educated guesses that it's going to do something. So yeah, it's uh, that's a yeah. point. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. All right. One last thing. Let's talk about. Well, now we already hit on that. I was going to say we could talk about the export report from yesterday, but obviously the Chinese. Kind of blew that out of the water with uh, with them buying soybeans. So I figure that pretty much yeah. sums it up. So we'll leave that one be. Yeah. So I guess with that, Sean, uh, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and ask them questions about what you have going on, or just get some more data about what it is you do over there at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website at Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. There's podcasts. There's interviews. Uh, there's sample downloads. Any all kinds of things to see what we do and to see if, you know, if what we do might help some of your listeners in the ag market. Right on, man. 
Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure to check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the latest podcast uh, episodes that get dropped there, as well as uh, some blogs that I've been writing. Um, also, check out movingironllc.com for the latest Moving Iron Podcast information. And uh, check out the Go Black Network and the great podcasters out there as well. If you are in the equipment business and you're trying to figure out what the best way is to uh, find your way through the uh, ever-changing auction marketplace and, and seeing the trends that are developing there, make sure you check out what's going on with that over at uh, TractorZoom. It's an amazing, uh, amazing format that uh, really makes it pretty simple to figure out what's happening in the auction market. They've got 400 different uh, auction, auction companies that are reporting to them. On a, on a daily basis as to what's happening in the auction marketplace. So go, go check them out. It's a, it's a big uh, big opportunity there for uh, for you if you're in the, uh, in the equipment space at all. So I guess with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Uh, let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century Hard-working people working hard for you and me Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here